Hello, hello, and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 146. This interview is with Neil Perkin, founder of Only Dead Fish, a digital and media consultancy. He's also the author of the eponymous and fine blog, Only Dead Fish. Among his many achievements and activities, Neil is the co-creator of Fraggle, a brand new Twitter creation app. Working with a number of big name brands, as well as running Google Firestarters, Neil is fully immersed in making digital transformation come to life in business. In this podcast, we talk about how leaders can overcome some of the most important challenges. We also chat about some of the upcoming trends in digital. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Today, in a most prestigious environment in the middle of London, actually we're in a chapel, I'm with Neil Perkins. So tell us, uh, Neil, who you are, what you do, as Mitch likes to say, and what is your mindset? Hi, um, so uh, I am Neil Perkin and uh, I run a digital consultancy and blog uh, called Only Dead Fish. Uh, so um, my digital consultancy works in a number of different areas. Uh, so I do quite a bit around digital transformation, uh, so helping companies become more digitally native, as I like to call it, in their thinking and ways of working and processes and uh, behaviours. Uh, but also do quite a lot around digital marketing and digital content uh, as well. Uh, so I work with companies like Google and Samsung and Marks and & Spencer and you know, lots of different companies in many different sectors, you know, media and otherwise. Um, and, uh, and so that's me. In terms of my mindset, mm-hmm. um, I think I would like to say restless and curious. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So restless is good because I think it's important to stay restless. I've always been quite restless in my career and wanting to move on and keep going and exploring. Uh, so ex- exploration I think is good. Uh, and stay curious. So stay restless and stay curious, I think, is my mantra. Well, it's interesting because in this world of digital transformation where there's so many things going on, some people think of it more as like, oh, it's so fatiguing, so restless in that respect. On the other side, you have the curious component. And and what I like to tell people is this is such a great opportunity to reinvigorate uh, a bored career where you can learn so much and get just excited by so much going on. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, for every challenge, there's an opportunity is, mm-hmm. is the way I put it. So, yes, there's huge amounts of challenge out there. But, um, uh, you know, the flip side of that is there is also huge amounts of opportunity if you want to embrace it. Uh, so I think, you know, if, if, if you're willing to stay curious and to keep learning, then I think there's a great opportunity to, um, you know, to get excited about all the possibilities out there. Somebody once said to me... Um, that it's like you know that the the palette that we have um, to paint with was once black and white, and now we have this kind of rich, full color palette in which we can use the kind of paint, um, you know, how we do things and uh, media communications, how organisations work. You know, I think that's very true. Yeah, so it used to be black and white television. Now we have color television. <laughs> no, so uh, only dead fish. You got to tell us where that came from. Yeah. So uh, so this is a quote from Malcolm Mugridge, who's the journalist and uh, philosopher. And uh, he once said, only dead fish go with the flow. And this was one of my favorite quotes when I first started blogging about seven, eight years ago. And uh, so it's what I call my blog. And um, the blog got a lot of traction, lots of people reading it. And uh, so when it came to setting up my own consultancy, rather than call myself Neil Perkin and Associates or something dull like that, it made a lot more sense. Yeah, it made a lot more sense to uh, 
to call it only dead fish. And the good thing is that people remember that, yeah. and they uh, they always ask me about it. So it's a great thing. Indeed, it is. All right. So you said you work with Google, um, but I think it's more about companies like Samsung and M&S. When you're working with them in digital transformation, how do you describe the kinds of challenges, the big challenges that they're coming to you with? So um, I talk a lot about organizational agility. And, uh, you know, I've been writing about this kind of area for about five or six years now. Uh, Just about every organization needs and wants to become more agile in the way that they work. Uh, but too often these, uh, I, I think people will f- get very focused on the technology, yeah? mm-hmm. the shiny technology, the kind of processes, you know, agile development is obviously a process that has come out of tech teams. But I think there is this whole thing sitting around technology, around the behaviors of the people, around the skills that you have, around the kind of culture of the organization that needs to run alongside investment in technology. Mm-hmm. So my philosophy is very much about, uh, yes, progressing with technology and understanding where technology is going, having a view on that and investing in understanding that, but it's also actually investing in the people side as well. Uh, and that means the way in which people work. Yeah? Does the company feel like it's a different place as much as look like it's a different mm-hmm. place? Well, when you talk to certain companies, as in a Google, they are more likely to tell you it's about the technology or a sales force that are selling these things. And the issue that I see a lot is in these bigger companies is the legacy infrastructure they have in place. And it kind of seems to frame the way they think because it's not able to do that. And it's harder for, it's harder for them to get over the hump because they are still clogged in the old-fashioned way of sending emails with lots of people and copy and so on and so forth. So how do you, how do you try to get them around that? Yeah, so, so I think um, I mean, th- there's a couple of key barriers to change here. One is the legacy technology piece which you mentioned, which is a massive barrier. And you know, there, there are certain things that you can do to encourage uh, organizations to experiment with new technologies um, on small scale and then scale from there, which I think is a useful way of approaching it. Um, but also I think there's the kind of uh, relationships within an organization. So in my experience, what tends to happen with the technology is that you get power balances within companies, uh, between people in companies, that grow up associated with that technology. So ways of working, uh, you know, who has the power, you know, the kind of relationship capital, if you like, of an organization grows up around an old technology. And so as soon as you start to try to introduce new technologies to that, it upsets the power balance of relationships, mm-hmm. and that is a real barrier to change. So you've got to recognize that, and you've got to be able to deal with that, and you've got to be open about that um, and find ways of um, breaking that down. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and there's not one way of doing that, I think, in my mm-hmm. experience. There's many ways of doing it, what's right for the organization, but uh, uh, the people bit and the technology bit as well. Mm. So when you are, let's say, you know, I'm not asking you to talk about the inner works and exactly what you did, but when you are asked or briefed to come in to help change, bring digital transformation in, what's your general way of going forward? And maybe more importantly, what will be the key to success to the work you do with them? So, uh, so I think for me it's about um, top-down, bottom-up change. Yeah? So uh, change only really works if you've got that top-down bit, which mm-hmm. is about having that vision and purpose and having the, the buy-in of the most senior person in the organization. Otherwise, forget it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I but I think the, the problem is that um, too often changes seem to be uh, you, you know, just that. It's like the CEO will present a new vision or a, you know, he'll write his PowerPoint presentation and stand up in front of the company and talk about it and then assume that the change will happen. But actually, change needs to be bottom-up as well. And to me, that's about 
the working practices of what people do every single day and uh, is that different is the behaviors different is the processes different does it feel like a different place but also the customer side so are you responsive and reactive to what customers are saying are you are you in touch with your customers so the whole idea of being user centric you know which is you mentioned google being very focused on technology i actually think they're very focused as well on users mm-hmm. and they start with the user and work backwards which is a jeff bezos mm-hmm. you know amazon um phrase uh, and and the companies like that i think are very good at creating these whole kind of ecosystems of value and and technology driven value around users and customers mm-hmm. and what their needs are and so many companies talk about wanting to be customer centric mm-hmm. and are very bad at doing it i think mm-hmm. so what's stopping them from doing it better um so i think uh, cust- uh, customer centricity to me means your starting place should always be the customer and i think what ends up happening is that starting place becomes the organization mm-hmm. so things like uh how an organization structures uh, or is structured um is uh, the determining factor of how they communicate to their customers mm-hmm. uh, so the, the kind of uh, thing that, that that creates for example is when you've got a customer service problem and you ring up to complain to the organization they say oh it's not our department you need mm-hmm. to ring this number over here and it's that department mm-hmm. sorry I can't help you and that person says oh, actually it's not our department it's that part the, and they pass you from one place to another and, and what's going on there is that an organization is set up in functional silos mm-hmm. um, and they're passing customers between functional silos that don't talk to each other Uh, so that to me is an organization thinking that they're customer centric but mm-hmm. actually no not being anywhere near customer centric mm-hmm. um you know organizations that charge you to speak to them by by ringing them up organizations that bury the phone number on the website because they don't want okay. the customers to talk to you right. yeah that's common practice common practice mm-hmm. um and Avoid to me cost. yeah exactly so it's about efficiency efficiency gets in the way or, or supposed efficiency mm-hmm. gets in the way of being genuinely customer centric and uh I don't think that's a really digitally native way of working. Yes, for sure. When when you uh, I I totally agree with you. I mean, one of the things I was thinking about before top down bottom up is the issue is the people in the middle. So as much as if it's top down and bottom up, it sort of sends me the message that the issue is the the middle manager because in the end of the day the middle manager is kind of the most operational element of it where mm-hmm. they are in touch with the people who are in touch with the customers. Mm-hmm. And so if the bottom up is trying to push the middle management to be good and the bottom down mm-hmm. or top down is trying to push the middle manager to execute it just sort of says to me that the the issue is in the middle. Yeah, uh, I think that's a uh, an interesting point. Um I mean t- to my mind you've got to uh you know it's all about behaviors and what people do. Uh so that is about setting out a clear vision from the top and creating that sense of urgency that actually we need to change and here's why we need to change and people realize that and they sense that and they sense that there is an urgency about the business and about the need to change the business and that is felt by everybody i think that you're much more likely to to change if you feel there is an urgency for change uh but then i think it's also about enabling that change to happen mm-hmm. um and then also celebrating short term wins so if if you have a particular team or part of the organization that is doing things in you know in, in a digitally native way or you you need to celebrate that mm-hmm. point it out and mm-hmm. say you know that that was great and then you know before long people look at that and go actually I'm on a bit of that and mm-hmm. uh, that was really good so they got a bit of recognition for doing that in that way and uh, and and that's how that kind of change spreads mm-hmm. i think through an organization yeah when you mention the urgency too often it's associated with fear 
oh gosh, I've got to get moving, and then punishment if I don't move fast enough, right. as opposed to doing something good and celebrating it. Yeah. When you, Neil, when you're working with um, these organizations, it'd be interesting to see, how do you see the organizational structures changing? Do you have any examples of how an organization has morphed morphed sorry <laughs> smurfed uh and i was thinking also things like you know how titles might have changed do you see anything interesting that you're pulling out from your experience with companies yeah so <clears throat> I, I think there's several interesting things here i mean t- you mentioned titles and um you know if i read another article about you know chief customer officer chief digital officer chief design officer chief whatever officer but undoubtedly you are starting to see you know the word customer coming up quite a lot now in job titles which is i think reflective of the fact that organizations do recognize that they need to be more customer focused what perhaps is interesting is is um you know the the uh, i guess the jurisdiction of that customer person you know what do they look after who reports into them and the responsibility yeah exactly uh, and I think you're starting to see some examples of um, uh, the equivalent of chief customer officer in organizations who are actually running things in an interesting way. Um, so that's one thing. Um, I think how you put teams together, I think, is another interesting thing. Um, so there's a lot of power, I think, in small, nimble, agile teams. And I talk quite a lot about how they can be quite transformational for companies because they're able to move fast and experiment and uh, you know move fast and break things to use Zuckerberg's phrase, um, and to you know move a lot faster than a bigger team can. So, uh, if you put together multidisciplinary teams like that to work on projects, to create ideas, and and uh, make things, do things quickly, uh, then I think it can be you know a real kind of uh, catalyst for the rest of the organisation. Um, I suppose the third thing here is just thinking about where there's sort of arms length accelerators and uh, incubators and. You know, so so uh, a number of organisations are doing some interesting things in that space to create brands which are much more digitally native, and then the mother company brand learning off that organisation um, because they're working in different and interesting ways. Yeah, well that that definitely one of the ways one observes the whole challenge is that is taking those learnings and then bringing it back in. And the interesting mm-hmm. thing, of course, having these interdepartmental teams is that you can seed into all the different departments that mentality with the individual who's involved bring mm. you back in uh, neil you have created fraggle mm. uh, tell us about fraggle what it is and what was the inspiration for bringing it around i'm a i'm a subscriber uh, brilliant okay so uh, fraggle which is uh, f-r-a-g-g-l um dot co uk that's url uh it's a twitter curation app um so really um the problem we're trying to solve here is that uh, there's so much great content on twitter you know uh it's, it's just a fantastic place, I think, for um, people to discover things that they, uh, really interesting content they wouldn't have otherwise come across. But it's quite a challenge to extract that content and, under, and, and see the really valuable stuff. Because it's, of, you have to, it's almost like you have to be there when it arrives. Otherwise, yeah. you, how often do you go back in and then hashtag and check and you still have to figure out whether that was an interesting post and you yeah. read that article? Yeah. And I think it's, it's if, to draw a metaphor here, it's like a fast-moving stream, isn't it, Twitter? Yeah. It's just constantly flowing. And I guess what we're trying to do with Fraggle is to provide a bit of a sort of stepping stone in that, in that stream so that you can just capture um, a moment in time and just see the most interesting stuff. So every 24 hours, we, um, it, it uses three different forms of curation, human, social, and algorithmic. And my view is that, uh, that those three forms of, of curation are uh, really valuable ways of surfacing the best content. So the human bit is that I curate a list of um, 
people who share really great content on Twitter from strategy, advertising, technology, and innovation, and so on. Um, and then uh, we plug an algorithm into that, and we use a variety of signals, social signals, like how many people are passing it on and retweeting it and um, you know, how many followers they have favoriting. and favoriting and all, lots of different mechanics. And we weight it, and we have an algorithm that we plug into that list, and then we extract out the 10 best links that were um, circulated amongst that list um, for the last 24 hours. And every morning you get a fresh email into your inbox with 10 links um, and uh, of the best content. So... Uh, it curates the best content for you. So uh, one of the things I've observed is a lot of people, or maybe even more people, favoriting than retweeting. And I sometimes see some articles that get a lot lot more retweeting than favoriting. Do you see anything, I mean, just as a curi- I mean, as an observer, or maybe you know more inside, and as a corollary of the question, do you give more weighting to retweeting than favoriting, and what's your mm. mindset on that? Well, do you know what? The interesting thing about this is that we've had to iterate the algorithm quite a lot as the usage of Twitter has changed. So it began when we, when we started Fraggle about a year or so ago. Um, favoriting was tended typically used as a bookmarking tool. Mm-hmm. Um, so often you'd see people favoriting stuff that they wanted to read later, and then they'd come back to it. Um, now favoriting is, is uh, some people still use it like that, but it's also used as kind of like a Facebook like button. So lots of people use it as a response to a tweet or to acknowledge something. Mm-hmm. Um, and the issue with that is that we were starting to get, you know, um, different types of content uh, coming to the surface. Mm-hmm. So we had to tweak the algorithm, um, which I, I think is interesting in its own right. I mean, Google obviously make, well, what is it, 600 changes to the algorithm uh, every single year. So that learning about how you need to, you can't just make up an algorithm and let it run and, and just leave it. Mm-hmm. You have to constantly change it to adapt to human behavior. Usages, yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, that's for sure. Uh, of course, Google is being Google or being played, you know, because they, people are trying to figure out how to do it. Whereas in Twitter's case, it's less about trying to play a game. It's sort of just that's the way we are using it. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, we're, we're constantly trying to get the product as good as it can be. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of that is about design and look and feel and, uh, and sign-up process and all the rest of it. But a big part of it is how the algorithm works and who's on the list, you know. So how many people are curating, or is Fraggle just one newsletter? So we've got uh, two versions at the moment. Um, so the uh, long-term vision for Fraggle is that we uh, have lists of people and, and we plug the algorithm into different vertical sectors. Uh, so right now we've got one which is focused on strategy, advertising and technology. Uh, then we have one which is focused on healthcare. Um, so we work with uh, Pritpal Tamba, who's um, uh, an innovator in the kind of health healthcare space. He knows that marketplace. So he's like a curator and knows the best people who share the best content. He puts the list together, and we work with him in order to um, plug the algorithm into that list. And so we've got a, a one running for the healthcare sector. Mm-hmm. So it's been really interesting, actually, seeing the kind of different types of content that are coming from both of those lists. And the long-term vision will be to have many different verticals, and then perhaps you'll be able to actually put together a list which is bespoke to you mm-hmm. uh, or combine that content in interesting and different ways. Yeah. So, yeah. so I noticed at the bottom you have Fraggle Advertising. Sign up for Fraggle Advertising. What was mm-hmm. the, what's the meaning behind that? It's, it's basically because um, a lot of the people on the list, the advertising strategy and technology list, are planners. Uh, oh, because, because the planning community tend to always be focused on what's next, what's mm-hmm. interesting, what's the best work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's why we call it Fraggle Advertising because right. a lot of people on it are advertising. And how are you trying to market it? How are you trying to get the word out? Because now you're applying your marketing skills to driving your own concept. 
Yeah, you know what? We haven't done a lot of marketing yet, actually. And that's really because uh, we're trying to get the product right. I see. And uh, so we're still developing it. And uh, it's, it's pretty good at the moment, um, but it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. And uh, so at the moment, we've been marketing it pretty low scale. So mostly via Twitter and via my blog. And, uh, you know, I, ca- I do a curation of the best links that have been captured by Fraggle. And uh, we have the Fraggle blog and things like that. Um, we will be probably moving quite soon into doing things like Twitter advertising. That's a logical place to go. Mm-hmm, sure. um, but uh, yeah, we want to make Watch sure the, the yeah we want to make sure the the product is perfect. Really. Yeah, cool. So yeah. all right. <laughs> Excuse me. So uh, Neil, you're also doing a thing called Google Fire Starters. So tell us about uh, what that is and how you got involved. Yeah. So I've been working with Google for about three or four years, and so Fire Starters is. Uh, a quarterly series of events that we run, uh, primarily for the strategy and advertising community, really. But um, we get all kinds of interested people coming along. Uh, and it's designed, really, to facilitate and stimulate debate around some of the more interesting and challenging areas of the advertising strategy comms industry. Uh, so I guess we have sort of three buckets of things that we do. We have people who talk to the craft of planning and strategy, what strategy is and, and in response to digital technologies. We also have... Um, uh, I guess models, so agency models, innovation, uh, you know, where agencies are going. Uh, and we also have kind of a third bit, which is about interesting people who have interesting points of view who are, who would be interesting to planners and strategists. So we've had people like Corey Doctorow and people like that speak, yeah. Um, so we've been doing it for about three years in the UK. Uh, they're short, punchy events. We run them in the evening, you know, a couple of hours, we, we, you know, not too long designed to create loads of um, debate and uh, we get loads of buzz around each event that we do and uh, they've gone global so we run them now in uh, New York and we did an event at South by Southwest uh, we're just doing our first one in LA uh, and we recently did our first ones in Sydney and Melbourne as well so um, yeah lots of exciting things happening there. So the majority of the participants then are in the agency business? Yeah pretty much I'd say but we get we get lots of I like to think of Fast Stars as being as for the interested and interesting people in the industry. So we do get a few other people from client side, you know, marketers uh, or comms people or PR people or, you know, um, from all kinds of different agencies. But, uh, but yeah, the, the common thing is that they are curious and they want to join in the debate about the future of the industry, where, where it's going. A little bit restless too. Um, so uh, when, let's talk about just that a second. Agencies, where, where is the agency business going? That's a really interesting question. I mean, I've, I've done a bit of work in this space, and um, there's a great model, actually, for uh, what we call the pro- progression of agency value, which is about, uh, which is taken from um, a book by Gilmore and Pine, which is The Progression of Economic Value, which was written about 10 years ago now, if not longer. And uh, so the, mo- the model there is that, uh, as applied to agencies, is that you're moving from delivering services um, up to... Um, ultimately guiding transformations within organizations but Mm. in between there's this sort of stage which is creating experiences so I think where a lot of agencies are at now is they're moving from delivering simple services uh, into this idea of creating experiences on behalf of clients Uh, so media agencies for example because they have that uh, managing the kind of interface with the customer being able to sort of craft experiences for uh, customers through digital technology and media and creative agencies creating experiences that can live on lots of different platforms and so on. But ultimately, I think where agencies are heading is, is more about guiding transformations mm-hmm. and change within business mm-hmm. uh, through customer interface and feedback and, you know, um, through media. Yeah, it seems that the, the real issue isn't making a great Facebook campaign. Creativity is perhaps part of that. But 
making the Facebook campaign successful longer term as part of a, a longer term strategy means so much more for the organization. And if the advertising agency is only being measured on the success of the number of likes, mm. it's such a superficial and non-transformational component. They need to end up being consultants. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, I think actually there was uh, Havas Media in the UK launched a consulting arm just about two days ago, which I think is an, a nice and interesting indication of where things are going. But um, media agencies, I think, are an interesting space right now because they've got this um, automation of media uh, thing going on. But the whole data play is a really interesting play, I think, for media agencies. And the potential there to create lots of value for clients through data and, and that value doesn't only sit in optimization of media, I think it sits in optimization of business as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you were saying, the issue of economic value is that they, the problem for so many of these agencies is that their business model is predicated on doing old-fashioned media. So doing a, a, you know, a video or creating copy and that, that was monetizable material, whereas making a Facebook page didn't really fit in their profit mode. So they're having to come up with not only... Uh, things that are going to make the customer happy, but things that they can be profitable on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Google have a thing called the profit-driven marketer, which is a performance marketing thing, really. But um, it's kind of making the point that uh, if if you are able to track value from activity, media activity, all the way back to profit, not just to sales, mm-hmm. uh, which you know many companies are doing now. Uh, then the the idea of that is that you you know exactly what levers to pull and when and what the impact of that is going to be and I think that's a really interesting place to be uh, and you know again an opportunity for media and performance uh, agencies in particular to really make a big transformational business difference not just a uh, a comms and marketing difference right. to organisations. Yeah, and so Neil, you you get a chance to travel the world, Australia, LA, and so on. And and digital is, by definition, rather international. So it's a little bit of a broad question. But how would you describe some of the trends that you see percolating now? Are, is wearable happening? Is mobile? Where I mean, of course, mobile is. But how would you identify some of the more interesting different types of trends that you see are going to be coming up in the next 18 months that marketers, agencies should be focusing on mm. more than they are in the past anyway? Yeah, Um so I, I think one thing I'd pick out here, which I think is particularly interesting to me, uh, is the idea of um, what I call destination and distributed thinking. So I think for many years we've been very focused on destinations, you know, digital destinations and, and other types of destinations. But in other words, bringing people to us and having them on our domain um, and keeping them there as long as possible in order to extract value from them. Uh, and then, you know, along comes social media and lots of other um, digital forms, which means that you need to get used to what you might call distributed thinking, which is where you're weaving yourself into the fabric of the web, which is a, a guardian phrase, wonderful phrase. But you're creating value out there on the web, not just on your own domain. And I think the interesting thing for me is things like mobile in particular, what that really means to that combination of destination and distributed thinking. Uh, so, for example, on mobile, um, you obviously have your destination app, but actually you've got this really interesting thing going on now, which is the notification layer, mm-hmm. uh, which can be potentially used from a marketing perspective, or, uh, but is, is 
is like a, a, a whole sort of service layer on top of mm-hmm. um, you know what what we would traditionally think of as destinations where we're bringing people to to mm-hmm. us. So I think um, there was a great analogy, a guy called Tom Goodwin, who's Havis, New oh, York, yeah. I think now. Uh, he called it the thin internet, and it was like the idea of this thin layer uh, over everything. Yeah, and I think that's a great analogy for just thinking about. You know, we're going to have to get used to this idea of being out there as as like a a, a service layer in, integrated into everything, not just the idea of uh, we can do it on our own domain and mm-hmm. and bring people to it. So that to me is a macro trend. I love that, and it makes me think about a, an expression I once said, which is we need to move from extracting value to exchanging value. Right. Where you, yeah. where, you're, where you are not thinking about it just from a me and my land and what I can get out of it as a brand, yeah. but constantly thinking, if I want to send out a notification, what's in it for them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, where we're going now, I think we have a massive uh, a potential pitfall, uh, which is that we are just going to spam people. And, uh, <laughs> you know, mm. we've done it with email, we've done it with all kinds of different communications tools. Um, and so I, I think if we're not careful, um, we will do exactly the same thing because, you know, there's this whole other way of communicating to people now and uh, the danger is that we abuse that. When, whenever you sign, <clears throat> you sign up for an app, first thing they're going to do, was well, Facebook Connect and can we, can we spam you? Can we pu- publish on your page? And all these different options that are out there that seem so, let's say, if we're in a business mind, well, we've got to do that. We need, we need them to come to my page. We, I, I want to be able to publish on their page. I want them to have all the notifications. And we push that as a default. And so as a customer or as a user, you're constantly having to unsubscribe, mm. get rid of notifications, and, and clean up. And that is such an irritation. It's amazing that, that the business individual who decides to push all these default notifications doesn't remember the experience as a user. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. That's a good way of putting it. I think, um, you know, marketers have a great uh, uh, tendency, I think, to uh, forget what it's like as a user, as you say. And, uh, uh, you know, the whole soft opt-in thing of, like, whenever you buy anything on the web now, you seem to subscribe to just about, you know, all their emails forevermore. And as you say, you have to consciously go back in and clean up your email, clean up, you know, your notifications, you know, change your settings, all the rest of it all the time. And that shouldn't really happen. It really shouldn't. But um, uh, unfortunately, it's where we're at. And I, I, actually, uh, if I'm pessimistic about it, I don't really see an end to that. Mm. Well, you know, back, back to the very beginning, Neil, we were talking about being more customer-centric. And, and possibly the thing that people tend to forget is that the experience as a customer, as in themselves, you know, much less thinking about Mr. Joe Bloggs. Actually, remember yourself, how you are on the weekend. And when you get a ping, yeah. how... A, how how rude can it be? Well, I think the the thing here is that uh, people tend to live in bubbles, don't they? And I think if you're a if you're a brand manager, you live in a bit of a brand bubble, you know. So that means that you assume that everybody else out there cares as much for your brand as you do. Mm-hmm. If you work in digital, you live in a digital bubble, and you assume that everybody's doing what you do, and everybody's on Instagram, and everybody's on Twitter, and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. When actually they're not. And if you work in marketing, you know, you, you live in that kind of bubble. Yeah. So. The, the challenge really is, is actually getting out of that. And, uh, and I think the smartest people actually do, the, uh, the most compelling solutions come from people who are able to see beyond their own kind of bubbles. And those would be the, the live fish that are not the dead fish. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so Neil Perkin, how can people best track you down, follow you? What's your preferred route for people to connect with you? 
Um, so on Twitter, I'm Neil Perkin, so N-E-I-L-P-E-R-K-A-N. That's probably uh, as good a place as anywhere. And, of course, my blog, uh, which is uh, www.onlydeadfish.co.uk. And uh, all my contact details are on there. And, of course, I'm on the, all the other usual channels. But, uh, but those are probably the two best ones, I would say. Brilliant. Well, lovely to uh, hopefully swim upstream with you. I really appreciate it, Neil. I, I enjoy reading you. I like your way of thinking. And you're a wonderful uh, human being, so I appreciate it. Thanks for coming to the show. Great. Thank you very much, Minter. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, that's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes, that really makes my day. Happy trails, and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way. Rid me of the grave and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of self security. Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form as long as you would feel warm, wrapped in canvas.
Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 